Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Fully Automated and Occupy IR Theory podcast. Today, we are joined once again by Colin Coulter of National University of Ireland, Maynooth. You may remember Colin from way, way back in episode eight. That was like, uh, what, three years ago? I don't even know anymore. I didn't even know I've been doing this for three years, my goodness. But I wanted to ask Colin back on this week to talk about the recent election in Ireland because, well, it turns out this wasn't any old election in Ireland. In a stunning result, Sinn Féin, a party which probably more than any other symbolizes the troubled history that many Irish people would sooner forget, surged from the 23 seats it won in the 2016 election to 37 seats. Now, considering that prior to 2016, Sinn Féin typically never had more than four or five seats, the momentum here is clear. But what's more interesting is that Sinn Féin is now the second largest party in the Dáil, just one seat behind Fianna Fáil. But Sinn Féin isn't just a relic of Ireland's Civil War history. While it is a party with a complicated history and an often contradictory set of ideological commitments, the 2020 election result, ironically, suggests a major realignment of the Irish political spectrum away from Civil War politics and towards something much more like a traditional European left-right model. Now, Colin Coulter is going to talk us through all of this in just a moment, but before we get to the interview though, Colin asked me to mention that he has a new article out with Francisco Arqueros Fernandez called The Distortions of the Irish Recovery. I've had a look at it. It's a great paper, especially if you want a bit of background on this interview. Uh, you can check that out in the spring 2020 issue of the Journal of Critical Social Policy. I'll post a link to that in the show notes. Uh, you might also want to check out Colin Coulter's recent appearance on the podcast Alpha Bunga Bunga. Those guys are always stealing my guests. Just kidding. Uh, but as ever, folks, um, even if you are a listener to Alpha Bunga Bunga, you're always welcome to chime in here with us, uh, hang out for a little while. If you have any feedback, reach out to us on Twitter at Occupy IR Theory. If you like this episode, please leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast provider. This is an occasional show. It's free. We're never asking for any money. That's not what this is about. But we do want to spread the word. Now, here's Colin Coulter. So, Colin Coulter, welcome back to our show. It's been a couple of years since we've last had you on. Um, today, Monday, February 10th, we have just had an election in Ireland. And I wanted to call you and ask what this means. We've had uh, something unprecedented happen here. Uh, the party Sinn Féin has obviously uh, performed very, very well in a way that even Sinn Féin themselves didn't expect to. Um, you're there in Ireland this morning. The counts are still going on. Is there, is there a basic sense of how... The, 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 the various forces are going to be balanced in the next Irish Parliament yet? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks, thanks for having us back on, Nick. Um, uh, yeah, well, where things are, we're about three quarters of the way through the votes being counted and seats being allocated. And as things stand, uh, there's 180 seats in the Irish Parliament. Uh, so basically, uh, sorry, 160 seats in mm -hmm. the Irish Parliament. And um, 
so a party or a coalition of parties needs 80 plus to form a government and the three principal parties as they are now are going to be in ranges between 30 and 45. Uh, Sinn Féin uh, is sitting on 36 seats. It only ran 42 candidates. So um, it's basically uh, Sinn Féin is going to be at that level more or less. Fianna Fáil, the historic party of government uh, in the Irish Republic, um, is probably going to have in the low 40s. And Fine Gael, uh, the kind of centre-right uh, second party of government, um, will have probably something around 30. So no party is going to be able to uh, obviously form mm. a government. Um, coalition government is, has been the norm uh, over the last couple of generations um, in Ireland. So we have a number of possibilities. It seems clear that Fine Gael won't be in the next uh, government because uh, it's ruled out a coalition with uh, Sinn Féin uh, for reasons of Sinn Féin, uh, the Republican movement's connections with uh, politically motivated violence. The long-standing kind of blood feud with uh, Fianna Fáil um, means that uh, that combination of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil is, uh, is, is unlikely as well. So what are people what people are talking about today is really two possibilities. One mm. is Sinn Féin being the principal party in a coalition of the left, but the numbers for that don't really look as if they add up. Another is Fianna Fáil and um, uh, Sinn Féin forming a coalition with one another, even though the leader of Fianna Fáil had said repeatedly yeah. uh, prior to the to election day that, uh, that he would not uh, countenance this, but his tone has changed. Um, since the kind of ballot boxes have opened. So we have a, a field of possibility and a, a great deal of confusion and a great deal of excitement because it's an election that appears to have broken the mould. Although possibly, I think the mould was broken a, probably a, a dozen years ago. Mm. Uh, at this, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about this, 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 this remarkable and devastating um, economic crash that we're right. still living with. Um, so... Uh, I mean, those two parties of government that 30 years ago were polling three quarters of the vote are now barely getting 40 percent of the vote. So we're now in a in a different world. But to be honest, I think we've been in a different world for some time mm -hmm. for a more. I think what's happened since 2016, which is the previous election, is there has been a de facto coalition between the two established parties of government, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Um, where Fianna Fáil basically um, had a confidence in supply arrangement where it basically agreed not to bring down the government in return for some kind of influence without being formally involved in a coalition. And of course, what that did was to make the already um, uh, the already minor differences between them ideologically to become, uh, become even more minor. And I think both of them have been casualties and Sinn Féin have positioned themselves to the left as a as a party of radical social change and have both squeezed and helped the far left in ways that perhaps we'll, we'll come back and, and, and mm -hmm. talk about. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I, w one of the reasons it was specifically you that I wanted to speak to about this election um, is that the last time we had you on, we had um, a, a really profound discussion, I think, about uh, some work that you had published uh, on Ireland's status as the European Union's model pupil of austerity. And I want to put a link to that older episode in the notes for this show. I, I would really 
strongly urge our listeners to 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 go back and check that out because it's um it's a very good introduction to austerity discourse in Ireland and the various ways in which Irish people were, I don't know, maybe you'll agree, Colin, like led into uh, uh, a consensus of sorts that the the crash of the Celtic tiger, the Irish boom economy was was basically nothing to do with neoliberalism or, 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 or banks or anything like that, but basically just that because everyone had partied. Uh, there's a famous uh, line that stands out in my mind where David McWilliams basically said the financial crisis happened because Ireland is a nation of bimbos. And um, so, you know, if, if that's the sort of background context, of the, there's a, there was a kind of a propaganda model at work there. And you traced it to, of course, the financial crisis. Then, you know, the, the, a lot of things sort of stem out of that, you know, this idea that the Irish don't protest. Um, and I think in that context, the Sinn Féin result is, is quite surprising. I mean, does this mean suddenly now that the Irish do protest or, or what has happened here exactly among the electorate that, that they've suddenly decided this is the turning point? Yeah, uh, it, it, this is the question people have been talking about for, for for some time and I haven't really thought this through. So this is all kind of really off the top of my head. But right. I, think, I think in terms of Irish don't protest, there's a, there's a truth and an untruth to that. Mm. Uh, I, I, I think one of the problems with the the period of the Irish uh, the Irish crash and just again you know, just to put some context on this, yeah. Ireland loses twenty one percent of its GDP in the space of about eighteen months. Um, one in six people living in Ireland suddenly are living outside of Ireland. Um, uh, nearly half a million people unemployed. Uh, levels of public debt we haven't seen since the nineteen eighties. Even though before the crash, Ireland had a public debt per capita less than that of, of supposedly um, frugal uh, Germany. Right. Um, so, and 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 I think one of the problems was that the trade union movement um, that saw itself as the lead of protest engaged in, in, in what without wanting to be kind of too pretentious about it were essentially simulacra of protest because mm-hmm. in the 1980s until the crash the trade union movement had got their feet under the table there was a corporatist model of decision making where the trade unions were very much in the room when decisions were being uh, made and when the crash happened and suddenly partnership was over mm-hmm. the trade union Ship's model was well let's get back to that and they didn't seem to, to think they didn't seem to realize that the, 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 the nature of the game had changed and they organized three massive organi- uh, um, massive demonstrations of more than 100,000 people. We had soldiers, we had police officers out of uniform on those demonstrations, unprecedented things. But they generated all of this heat and didn't know what to do with it mm-hmm. other than try and use it to pressure their way back into, um, into talks uh, with government. And I think what happened possibly was it took time for those forms of protest that existed outside the trade union movement to really gather legs. And the lightning rod for for, for that energy was, of course, the water protests. Um, when the when the the Troika, the three institutions, IMF, the European Central Bank, the European Commission, who supposedly bailed out Ireland essentially by appearing to give Ireland money, most of which went to the European banking system, but we ended up paying over the going rate uh, in terms of of um, uh, interest uh, for. Um, that there was only really two things in the memorandum of understanding between the Irish government and the Troika that mm-hmm. didn't come 
us. One was inevitably the reform of the legal profession, because, of course, the legal profession is one of the small groups of elite people who run Irish society in many ways. The other was water charges and a very, very much a kind of grassroots movement springs up that um, the, the, the far left, I think, recognizes first and becomes involved in and attempts to direct. Sinn Féin are very, very wary of, indeed, um, their credentials as, as a party of protest um, from the Iraq war right through to, to now right. are actually really, really problematic in all sorts of ways. But the thing is, by the time of the of the 2016 election, a, a lot of that energy has ha, ha, has dissipated. And I think what happens in this particular election is you have quite clearly two mainstream parties whose politics are more or less identical, both of whom have been involved in the imposition of austerity programs, both of whom are effectively uh, colluding in government with one another. And there's a space for somebody. And Sinn Féin enters that space in part because the Labour Party is tarnished by its own period in government um, uh, between 2011 and 2016, and uh, partly because the far left is too small. It doesn't it doesn't have the kind of roots. It has stronger roots than it has in many other Western European countries, but it doesn't have the roots and the networks and the and 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 the appeal that Sinn Féin has. But you know, six months ago, even three months ago, nobody would have seen this coming because Sinn Féin have had a series of bad elections, both north and south of the border, um, uh, catastrophic European elections, disastrous local elections. The last general election in Northern Ireland they lost, although they held on to the same number of seats um, in a slightly different kind of uh, combination. They lost almost 60,000 votes, which in an ordinary Irish context is, is a huge amount. What happened in the period of the campaign is that some quickened, some kind of mood that Sinn Féin was big enough, smart enough, organized enough to capitalize upon. And it, it, it changed. It, there was a tipping point. The reasons for that tipping point, I'm not quite sure, because three months ago, it didn't look like this. Right. But that mood that was there, that mood of, yes, the numbers are great. Yes, if GDP per capita um, as a metric of of, of um, economic growth, if, if it were really also a metric of how we live our lives, Ireland would be, you know, the most prosperous and 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 most equitable society in Western Europe. Right. But the period of economic growth, rapid economic growth over the last five six years, has made a very at least a very substantial number of people very very unhappy, um, for reasons of. Uh, the dramatic rise in the in 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 in, in uh, rent in a home, um, the dramatic rise of the number of people on trolleys in in hospitals, the exorbitant rates of childcare, and Sinn Féin, that may not necessarily historically have always been the party to the fore of social protest. I mean, it was not. Right. It was not very. It did not put its shoulder to the wheel of, say, for example, the move to introduce abortion in the Republic of Ireland until the tide had turned in favor of repeal of the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution yeah. that forbade um, abortion. So I think it over, what's happened is it overtook Sinn Féin. It took everybody by surprise. But there was just, I think there was a moment where a tide turned, a tipping point, whatever you want to call it, where I think people's just sense of exasperation um, was going to find a home, and that's the home that it found. 
And there's lots of reasons why it may, may well have been Sinn Féin, um, but they have certainly tapped into it. I mean, there's people who lost their, who, who lost their seats at local government a year ago or tapping. Right. Do you know, I mean, it's remarkable. I mean, I, I saw a woman in, in, interviewed a Sinn Féin candidate in Kildare South earlier, and it's become a wee bit of a talk and point. It's a slightly trivial thing, but literally, she, she, I mean, her, her, her sons had bought her a, a holiday uh, before anybody knew there was going to be an election. And she went off on her holiday and came back and, um, and still managed to, to, to win a seat. Do you know, <laughs> yeah. people, people with not big profiles, people, some of whom were inexperienced, some, some, of, some, some of whom would not be certainly household names, are topping polls left, right, yeah. and center. And, uh, yeah. and in some places, they're squeezing the left. And in some places, of transfers are bringing the left in on their coattails. So maybe uh, that's a great transition to a sort of a, a more macro question. Um, I think a lot of people who maybe are, you know, looking at Ireland from overseas who, who might not know a, a whole lot about Irish history or the nuances of Irish politics, but they might know certain things. They might know Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, these sort of like uh, big brand names of the, the, the major parties. And to the extent that they know Sinn Féin, um, I think it's probably reasonable to say that they would think of Sinn Féin as, as, a, as a party more readily associated with, with national struggles in the north of Ireland. And, and so I think they might look at the election results and say, yeah, okay, clearly this is a vote for change, right? These numbers are, are, are very new. Uh, you know, we've not seen this before. Um, they might even say legitimately this is a protest vote against the establishment parties. But I think there's sort of two questions that emerge out of that. Firstly, to what extent would Sinn Féin self-identify as left-wing? And then secondly, to what extent is this vote indicative of an emerging left consciousness in Ireland? I know that's a very difficult question mm -hmm. to maybe answer in light of what you've just said, that, you know, mm -hmm. that, 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 that Sinn Féin was almost overtaken by... Um, by this momentum, but um, I, I, I think we can certainly. Um, I, I, th I think we can address those issues, but it, 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 it's tricky. Mm -hmm. It is definitely very tricky because, I mean, Sinn Féin historically has been, you know, has been many different things. Has been many different paramilitary organizations. It's been very, very many different incarnations of the Sinn Féin brand. Um, but certainly in terms of you know, what we now understand as being Sinn Féin, the party that emerges from the provisional IRA and right. the provisional Republican movement. I mean, of course, their origins are in a number of things, but not least people who are more conservative, Catholic, traditional nationalists who don't like the the kind of leftist direction of the Dublin-based leadership in the 1960s as the Northern Irish Troubles um, emerges. Um, so, there's, there's certainly that strand of a kind of conservative Catholic uh, nationalism. Um, there's another strand, I suppose, which depicts itself as leftist, internationalist, that it attempts to identify with international struggles of the, of a previous era uh, and this era as well, of course, of, you know, South Africa and Palestine and Native Americans and so on. And there's certainly that tradition. Um, there's also a change in its class composition in terms of its electorate and in terms of its um, membership, because a really, really critical, I mean, I suppose my argument is that Sinn Féin is not a conventional left-wing party uh, 
by any means, but it is a party with lots of left wingers on it. It's a lot. It's a party that the in which you know it's not a socialist party, but it's a party with lots of socialists in it. Mm-hmm. And I think some of those would be close to the leadership, uh, particularly Ono Brin, who has, you know, probably in the face of initial resistance over a space now of about twenty years, though he's still a, a relatively young man, tried to nurture that kind of version that this would be a party of the re- specifically Republican left. Um, so there, there, there's a lot of different things going on here, but one of the things that was critical to their success here, although it didn't look like this until maybe a month ago, was the change of leadership. Um, mm-hmm. And two years ago, um, pretty much to the day, Jerry Adams, who's led the party for nearly 40 years, um, stands down, has particular associations, of course, right. associations, you know, paramilitary violence, very specific acts of paramilitary violence, um, the abduction and, and murder of Jean McConville, of course, the napalming of the Le Mans uh, Hotel in East Belfast, those kinds of events, which, of course, um, he would deny, but are matters that are uh, um, speculated about in, in, in the public domain. Also, his manner and, and speaking as an ordinary person, as a Belfast person, um, it's something I'm particularly sensitive to, but I recognize it. I think as an ordinary politician leading the party trying to break through in the South, yeah. he was a huge ability. Um, he was, a, I mean, at certain points, um, certainly during the 1990s, during the peace process, I remember certainly the 97 election reading that he had gone walkabout in Grafton Street and people were applauding him and workmen on building sites had stopped work to come over and congratulate him for this and that. Um, but certainly I think there was a point, um, the 2007 election, where he was in one of the debates and he clearly didn't have a handle on Southern Irish politics. He clearly was out of his depth. Um, and also, frankly, the accent. He has a very, very particular, especially strong Belfast class accent. Right. And this it's this grates on people. I'm sorry. I mean, it's it's I mean, uh, as an ordinary person living south of the border, um, there, 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 there is for some people an ingrained prejudice really? um, and it, both ways across the border. And I think he became a huge liability and he was replaced not coincidentally, by somebody who has no familial connection to Republican violence. Nobody in her family went to prison um, from a kind of Fianna Fáil kind of background. She was a Fianna Fáil member as a young woman. Mary Lou MacDonald, South middle class, combative, but personable. Um, Whereas, frankly, Adams was merely combative. And Mm -hmm. I think great. Southern Irish voters. I think that's just the truth of it. And I think she became somebody who was able to straddle certain class distinctions. I, I, I think people who previously wouldn't vote for Sinn Féin would vote for her. People who have always voted Sinn Féin would be happy to vote for her with the imprimatur of Jerry Adams and the old guard. Um, and I think that's that's that that in part um, explains the 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 success. Although three months ago there were you know certainly last year after the disastrous local government and European elections there was there were mumblings that perhaps she was uh, not somebody who was going to last very long. But uh, um, she's proven her critics uh, wrong. Oh, very obvious. You had a major um, way for sure. Yeah, almost 24 and a half percent of uh, of the vote um last time around it was less than 14 percent in the last general election but to maybe recap a little bit because that was a dense narrative i i Sinn Féin is 
not a conventional left-wing party in the way that probably most people outside of Ireland would understand. It's a party whose origins are in more conservative politics, but have always had radical impulses. And those radical impulses, I think, have have been nurtured by key figures within the party, um, are certainly around um, the leadership. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, for example, they, the, the, some of them, maybe the older conservative romp left when they, late in the day, approved... Uh, a pro-choice policy on women's reproductive rights, and that that conservative rump, you know, probably older, more rural, became a party called Into, who you know well, may ex- may exist in a decade, but probably won't. They probably don't have the 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 the, the energy to sustain themselves. Mm. So what you have uh, a party that um, it really has a, an appeal that has kind of slipped its its mirrors of you know, urban working class, Dublin and Cork and Limerick, um, North Kerry, um, the border counties. It's, I mean, it's getting, it's, it's getting TDs, it's getting members of the parliament now where it's never got votes before. It's got people topping, um, topping the polls um, in most constituencies. And of course, it only ran 42 people. Uh, 36 of those have already been elected. Had it ran another, a, a, another couple of dozen, they may well have had, Something like seats, five fifty seats. Um, it's amazing, but I, it is amusing. But I, th- I think an interesting thing about Sinn Fein, possibly, uh, and I haven't thought this through, so it's just a really a, just a wee speculation. Is Sinn Fein articulates a number of things, it's, you know, a social justice agenda, a kind of a, a left agenda on public services, but it also is very explicitly nationalist. Yes, and it's very explicitly nationalist, as, as you would know, obviously, and and, and but but. It does so in a way that in other political cultures might be inflected differently. And I think this is one of the reasons why Sinn Féin is possibly very important in a country like Ireland that's had very substantial immigration over the last generation. I think having a party that is both nationalist and broadly speaking left, that has very strong roots in working class communities, has perhaps been really, really important in terms of ensuring that there's never really been the flourishing of any meaningful right-wing um, anti-immigration vote. That's not to su- suggest that there aren't dog whistlers. Right. It's not to suggest people trying to tap into that. There certainly are, but um, Ireland certainly bucks the trend um, of those kind of populist right-wing parties trying to tap into working-class antipathy towards um, towards migrants. Um, uh, and I think that, that might well be one of its great historical significances. Maybe on that uh, note, I actually have a kind of a, a question that I I wasn't even sure if I should include here because it's um, I, I'm not even sure I would see the connection exactly myself. But is it possible, uh, just speaking on this nationalist kind of aspect, that that maybe Brexit also loomed a little bit uh, on people's minds? Obviously, the British Conservatives under Boris Johnson haven't been shy about their plans to put a you know, as they say, a border down the middle of the Irish Sea. And we all know that Northern Ireland voted overwhelmingly to remain. So it sort of makes sense in a sense that that, that Sinn Féin would have a, a historical role to play now as advocates for a border poll. Um, do you have a sense that in any way, shape or form, this vote might itself have been a referendum on the idea of a border poll in its own right? No, I don't. But 
I, 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 but I'd like to qualify that answer with a couple of things. One is what we've been told on the Irish media over the last 48 hours was that the exit polls and all the kind of data suggests that when people ask what is the major issue in a selection, less than 1% or fewer than 1% said uh, Brexit. Now, well, th- th- that's an interesting thing, but it's an interesting thing in the context of other more competing demands. Uh, housing is a really, really critical demand in a society where in Dublin rents are more than 2,000 euros a month right. on average. There's 10,000 people homeless, 4,000 homeless children and so on. So obviously housing, health, childcare really, 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 really drag responses from people. Brexit will be down the list. But my sense is, my own feeling is that Brexit and those more the uh, the feelings of nationalism, the feelings of irritation yeah. uh, at uh, Northern Unionists and irritation at kind of, you know, the kind of uh, uh, the condescension of the Westminster political elite and the Conservative Party. I think there is that mood in Ireland. I think there has been that mood in Southern Ireland for a while, um, really for the last four or five years, I think coming from the centenary of, of, of 1916. Um, I think the Brexit process. Um, uh, but I think it's interesting because I think what happened with Fine Gael was, uh, people who know these things, I must say better than I do, would say something different. But my sense was that certainly Leo Varadkar and Sam Coveney, leaders of, of Fine Gael, tried to, I, I think at certain times, tried to tap into a mood of we're standing up to the British, uh, that we and the rest of the European right. Union um, have essentially formed alliance against our former colonial masters and our former colonial masters, frankly, are in chaos and are held up uh, uh, for ridicule um, around the world. The problem with that is that's not the natural politics of their electorate. Um, the natural politics of their electorate is probably partitionist. It's probably, probably regards Northern Irish people as different and mm. other unionist and nationalist and is deeply, deeply um, wary of any kind of nationalist sentiment that might be seen to be sympathetic to um, uh, acts of par- paramilitary violence um, uh, before now or, 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 or indeed now. And that mood is only going to play into the agenda of Sinn Féin. That mood of there isn't people, that mood of um, nationalist sentiment. Like, For example, one of the Sinn Féin candidates who was elected, his supporters, I mean, there's, very, there's a tradition, as you know, in, in, in Irish elections where the, the winning candidate is hoisted on the shoulders oh, yeah. of, of, of their supporters and they sing songs. And the song that they sang was Come Out You Black and Tans. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's a song that has two two senses. One is it taps into an older Republican sensibility of of of, of uh, reflecting kind of um, uh, in a misty-eyed way on kind of you know uh, combat of the past against the British Empire. But it also taps into the fact that the Fine Gael government thought it might be a good idea to have a centenary event that marked the elements of Irish society that backed the Empire during the War of Independence. I mean, a real faux pas. And those kinds of things, that kind of mood is only going to benefit Sinn Féin and possibly Fianna Fáil. It's never going to benefit uh, Fine Gael. It's right. not their politics at all. Um, that said, 
um, after that, 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 I know that's a kind of a, a lot of a lot of kind of words, but that said, I, I here's something I, I think that people really need to bear in mind when they talk about how people in Southern Ireland view Northern Ireland. I mean, I've been living in Southern Ireland for 25 years, right. and I honestly, the number of people who are genuinely interested in any prolonged sustained way that you could have a conversation for more than five minutes without them dozing off about northern irish politics um <laughs> few and far I, that's funny maybe i don't move in the circles with 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 Sinn Féin members um who certainly would be more interested but i have to be honest with you in 25 years living here i don't know I mean, if I said to most, I mean, I, you know, most of the people I know would be very knowledgeable about world affairs, European affairs. You know, if you ask them the name, the, you know, uh, the social welfare minister, the finance minister in the Northern Assembly, they, 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 they wouldn't know and they wouldn't care. And and I think that is that is uh, something that is very, very deep in Southern Irish society. That isn't to suggest it won't change. It's not to suggest that maybe Sinn Féin's rise isn't indicative of that change. But it's an ambivalence and indifference which runs very, very deep. Um, and uh, I think a lot of presumptions are made about people's political orientations, people's political desires. And this is all up for grabs. Um, this is all this. This all lies ahead of us in terms of a border poll. Yeah, I Sinn Féin have a. You know, they, they, they've had a slightly tempestuous kind of relationship with the notion of a border poll. Um, after the 2011 census results in Northern Ireland came out in, I think, the spring of 2012, Sinn Féin had a meeting up um, a hotel in North Dublin where they basically said the census of population shows there's more people regard themselves as Irish and British in Northern Ireland. We want a border poll. What, of course, Jerry Adams didn't realize was he was including people who define themselves as Northern Irish in that category. And many of those people are people who don't want uh, United Ireland, are people who identify with the union, who support the Northern Ireland football team and not the Republic of Ireland football. So uh, the day after Brexit, Martin McGuinness says we need a border poll. Yeah. But we're almost a, we're a decade into this process. And we hear different things from Sinn Féin. Yes, we want a border poll. When do you want it? At some point in the future. Um, would it be a, pro a part of the program of government? Should they go into government? Um, that remains to be seen, but I have a feeling that probably won't be. Um, and there's a sense, I think, with Sinn Féin, a bit like maybe the SNP in Scotland. What happens if you call an, a, a referendum and you lose it? Mm. Um, you may lose it by maybe 5%. Um, but I, I think most people would think that if there were a, a border poll in Northern Ireland now, the nationalist cause would lose. Um, there would also have to be, I think, a simultaneous referendum south of the border. And I think the outcome of that is not, I, I, I think, is not easy to read. So there's an awful lot of imponderables. I think Sinn Féin know it's their trump card, but it's also their Achilles heel um, in, in certain respects because you open. You open that, that 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 particular canister of feeling that is very very difficult to to. I mean, there's a lot of very complicated things. Um, I mean, I've met people here. Some some of the people. I, I, I've met so many people. So many contradictory um, uh, opinions about Northern Ireland, and yeah. you know, I mean, because one of the things that's going to happen, for example, is again, people are going to have to think 
about what happened during the Northern Irish Troubles. And that again, you know, that again opens up old wounds. But to contradict what I've just said, one of the things that was interesting in the last week, mm -hmm. uh, talking to people prior to the election on Saturday, when people said Sinn Féin are going to do well, I was just saying to people, well, they've had a bad couple of days. And the bad couple of days were the, the media, the Irish Independent Group in particular, basically getting a few skeletons out of closets um, about the death of Robert McCartney, beaten to death, sorry, stabbed to death in a pub full of Sinn Féin supporters and nobody saw anything. Back in 2005, the death of Paul Quinn, uh, allegedly by people associated with the Republican movement. Can you, um, can I, just, um, I know that was like pretty big story uh, in the week or two before... <sighs> the vote. Can you just say a little more about the Paul Quinn thing? Paul Quinn was abducted by a group of men, a dozen of them or so, who are alleged to be associated, to be members of the provisional IRA. Um, and it was, it has been alleged that he was involved in, um, because of the nature of the Irish border, there was some kind of, there's various smuggling across it. And uh, members of the Republican movement have been centrally involved in that historically. Uh, and I, I think the argument is that he fell foul um, of some Republicans who didn't like them, him being involved in their patch. Um, he was taken south of the border to Castle Blaney. <clears throat> he was taken into a barn and um, he basically was beaten by a dozen men with pickaxe handles. I think every every major bone from the neck down was broken. I think his, his right ear was severed. And subsequently, Connor Murphy, who's a senior Northern Irish Sinn Féin member, who's now the uh, finance minister in the uh, recently reconvened Northern Irish Assembly, yes. uh, um, basically uh, issued a bit of a dog whistle that Paul Quinn had been involved in um, illegality. Um, you know, and, you know, people will, I, I don't, I don't think many people in Ireland wouldn't raise a smile at the irony of, 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 of being that other people on the border involved in various forms of cross-border illegality. And, um, it came back to haunt them. But of course, this was always going to happen. If Sinn Féin gained legs, these stories were going to be dragged out. Um, but the thing that's interesting is it didn't hurt them. Um, the media really went for this story. Paul Quinn's uh, parents, especially his mother, were, you know, headline news for two or three days leading up to the election. Um, and the, the argument that I've heard, I'm not sure if it's true, but it makes sense, is that younger voters who don't remember the troubles didn't really care or didn't really think it was anything to do with them or didn't really draw a sufficiently strong connection to the current Sinn Féin leadership. Mm. Um, that it, it tarnished them. And of course it wouldn't because, you know, um, had Jerry Adams still been in power, he would have been in a more difficult position. I think Mary Lou MacDonald, who has no personal connections to those versions of politically motivated illegality, yeah. she's, she's, she's much easier. It's much easier for her to deal with it. Although she was very rattled in the television debate when it was brought up, she was I very rattled. That, yeah, I didn't see that, but I, I did hear that it was a, a bad performance on her part. Yeah, I, I I think there was two or three moments where, she, you know, that kind of, you know, the Republican past came back to haunt her. Another was yeah. by the special criminal court, which is meant to deal with, you know, 
various forms of illegality, including people involved in, in, in paramilitary activity. And of course, she wouldn't say that she supported it. She uh-huh. going around the houses saying, I, we support the courts, but um, Sinn Féin doesn't uh, support the um, uh, special criminal court, not least because one of the first people uh, the special criminal court went after was a senior uh, Republican um, based on the border who is alleged to have been involved in forms of cross-border illegality. So, um, uh, so it, 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 it's very interesting that, um, you know, you can see Michal Martin, leader of Fianna Fáil, is genuinely, clearly, rightly or wrongly regards um, Sinn Féin as, as being repugnant. Yes. But, you know, 18-year-olds um, who were... Five-year-olds when Paul Quinn's murder was splashed all over the headlines. And so it was 2007 or something, wasn't it? Yeah, 2007. Yeah. Don't seem, you know, don't, don't, don't seem to be especially troubled by that. And, you know, for some people, perhaps the whiff of cordite around the party is an attraction. It has a, it gives it an air of... For some, of yes. You know, for, for some, exactly. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't say, but, um, uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a, a complicated answer to a complicated question. Yeah, but yeah. Well, thanks, though. I think that's really helpful because I, I do want listeners to um, understand that they're, that, that these questions are, 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 are very much in the Irish media. Um, if you listen in on Sunday morning talk shows on RTE, you're going to hear people bring these issues up. And, and there, there was, um, and as you say, rightly or wrongly, there was a concerted effort to um, fling this stuff at people like Mary Lou with the hope, I think, of kind of associating her with with that time. Sure. Which leads to maybe another question now, which is what what does this mean for the Irish left and the rest of the Irish left, so to speak? Because in a sense, there's a risk here that Sinn Féin is kind of getting so big that it might even maybe start swallowing up other left wing parties just to sort of go over some numbers here that i saw and this is last night so some of this might have changed this morning but uh there are a number of other smaller uh left parties in ireland there's the green party which which was at least in the build-up to this election really um being promised to be a big splash um Mm. it's it's of course recovering in terms of its reputation from its time in office with finna fall at the start of the financial crisis there's, of course, then also the Labour Party, which was in coalition with Fine Gael for a period of time and does not seem to be doing very well in this election at all. I think something like just four or five seats returned. So that does not look great for them. And then you have a, a sort of a, a, a loose constellation of smaller parties and independent TDs. Um, the last election back in 2016, there was some sort of brief effort, I think, led by Unite and other people associated with the Right to Water movement to try to put together a kind of a a coalition in Parliament to create a kind of a unified parliamentary presence. That that that, that never materialized. I think this time around, it's going to be a lot harder for those smaller parties, right? I mean, I even noticed that like Ruth Coppinger lost her seat. Yeah, but it, it looks like, Nick, it looks like... Um... Ruth Coppinger may be the only person of the kind of the Trotskyist left mm-hmm. to lose her seat. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, 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 it, but again, it's some of the some of them are skin, skin of the teeth. Certainly in the Dublin um, Northwest, 
uh, Trotsky's candidate almost uh, actually just lost on the, on the last count. I just heard before we started the interview. Mm. Um, in my own constituency, um, uh, Dublin South Central, Joan Collins, whose background is in Trotsky's politics, um, won on the last count. We have two Trotsky's uh, politicians out of four in this constituency. Um, uh, along with somebody from Sinn Féin and somebody from the Greens, really kind of left-wing constituency. So I think Ruth Coppinger might be the exception to the rule. Okay, but it's certainly, Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly, I think the thing about the left, um, the kind of the hard left, is some of those seats are associated with certain personalities. So... You know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure how familiar people will be, so I don't want to they, mention they'll, too many. They'll, they'll, they might know names like Richard Boy Barrett or someone like that. I mean, Richard topped the poll. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Don and Don Leary, Breed Smith, and my own constituency um, who had canvassed for, and obviously was going to do very well. Yeah. Um, got in on the second vote. Um, Gino Kenny held his seat in West uh, Dublin, although against all odds and on the last count. Um, looks like McMurray down in Cork is going to hold his seat. So there are, those people have held on. But for example, if somebody like Richard or Breed were to stand down and somebody was to take their place, I'm not sure how they would fare. They're people with long traditions of high profiles, long traditions of activism, build up uh, constituencies through a lot of hard work over long periods of time. And I'm not sure that that, you know, people I've been talking about the last a couple of days about Sinn Féin's brand, I'm not sure that that kind of far left brand will ne- would necessarily survive the retirement of some of those figures. Also, the problem that the far left faces, and everybody's going to have to reflect on this, is if you're a, if you're a left winger um, and, you know, you don't have a strong ideological affiliation with certain brands of Irish Trotskyism, why wouldn't you vote for Sinn Féin? Um, and that's something that people, I suppose, will have to have to reflect on because you have a Sinn Féin party that, you know, is talking a lot of the same language, addressing a lot of the same issues. And yeah. in some cases, for example, you know, one of the things Sinn Féin did absolutely right over a long period of time was they got a couple of their brightest people up front and centre on key issues. And, you know, the one people talk about is Ono Brennan-Housen. Yeah. And I have his oh, book right here. Is she on my desk? <laughs> yeah, you know, and you know, he did the leg work, and he did the, he did his homework, and he's a bright guy, and yeah. um, and, and and also he's you know he's 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 somebody who won't uh, won't start with the horses. Um, he's well spoken. He's middle class. Yeah. He just reaches out from beyond the kind of you know he represents a working class constituency, but he has an ability to speak beyond what previously might have been considered to be the kind of Sinn Féin bad rock of kind of, you know, working class um, constituents and did a lot of work in housing um, when questioned uh, often very vigorously and aggressively on various um, television and radio programs, was unflappable, uh, held to the narrative, was good with detail and, um, you know, I think part of the problem for the left is, you know, what 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 is what is the kind of leverage for the left uh, beyond Sinn Féin? Um, yeah, I guess you know, that's the was, question, right? Like like there's there's potentially more numbers in the parliament if they can find some kind of way to rally together. But sure, I mean, if you you know, Sinn Féin are going to get end up thirty six, thirty seven seats. Yeah, the Trump's left will have half a dozen. Yeah. Uh, 
Labour will have half a dozen. The Social Democrats will have half a dozen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Greens will have something in the low teens. You put all those numbers together and you're still something short of forming a government. Um, and, and and that with a, you know, a kind of complex coalition of a lot of different people, all of whom will want ministerial positions. So that doesn't really look like a possibility. But one of the difficulties for the left, if Sinn Féin stays out of government, um, is um, basically they've had their clothes stolen. Yeah. You know, because it was different in 2016 because I think anybody who really knew what was going on, um, certainly in the places in Dublin that I would know, knew that Sinn Féin had not been quick to champion the water charges movement. Um, they were not quick to champion repeal of the Eighth uh, Amendment, for example, subsequent to that. Um, but the thing about it is that those issues have apparently, those campaigns have been fought and won. Um, and, you know, the kind of the, 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 the kudos that came to elements of the left from those campaigns has probably dissipated. Um, or perhaps it, 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 it's certainly not, it, 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 it's not going to, I mean, that capital isn't going to accumulate any further. Um, Interesting. Uh, yeah, and possibly the difficulty here is what distinguishes the far left from Sinn Féin until Sinn Féin get in the government and, of course, start making the compromises that every other party has made when they got into government because historically, as you know, the Irish Labour Party have had numbers comparable to Sinn Féin, slightly less in the 1990s and more recently in, in 2011. They've had, you know, substantial numbers of seats and still found themselves making, you know, uncomfortable compromises. So hmm. it'll be interesting and see what happens. Um, but certainly, you know, for example, Breed Smith in, in my own constituency did very, very well, but um, she got she got 5,000 plus votes, but she got 4,000 plus transfers from the Sinn Féin candidate. Mm. Um, basically, half the vote that got her the seat was, were transfers from Sinn Féin. And there's a positive way of spinning that, which is <laughs> Sinn Féin, the broad left vote in which other candidates are very close to the affections the of the electorate. And another is that on this occasion, um, the left was uh, fortunate in a way that they may not be again, especially if Sinn Féin runs other second candidates in seats that, that where, their, where their candidates have gotten very, very comfortably. That The next election could look very different in that sense. There's a way um, sometimes that American um, left-wing journalists um, talk about uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign as, uh, you know, over time uh, generating for uh, left-wing journalism, for left-wing commentary, a kind of a new legitimacy because apparently American the American media loves power more than anything else. So like they will, you know, if you have power, they will, they will bend, mm. they will bend the knee eventually. Right. Um, and you can sort of see this in the, in the current media cycle in the United States. It's, it's been really interesting this time around to see the, 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 the transformation. Um, I, I, I'm not, I'm not in a million years going to say that the American media is warm towards Bernie Sanders. It obviously isn't, but there, there does seem to be a way in which, you know, young upstart 
um, very pro-Bernie um, commentators and analysts are starting to make appearances in U.S. media. It's, you can see it. It's it's a you've got people like Crystal Ball, uh, <coughs> Sagar and Jetty, others. You know, really starting to make um, waves. Um, so, on this question of the Irish intellectual scene, and uh, you know, with its various sort of professional managerial class affectations. Do you can you imagine, or, or is is this something that we can countenance that there will be a, a, a warm reception to Sinn Fein in power in Ireland? Um, I, I think we can guarantee that there, there that there probably won't be. I think about Sinn Fein is that Sinn Fein. I mean, again, the, the media is lot, lot, lots of different things. For example, it's very it's very obvious on RT, the the national broadcaster, the the, the both the radio and television um, coverage has been very very kind of genial. Towards toward towards Sinn Féin um, over the last kind of twenty four hours. I'm not suggesting there's any reason they shouldn't be, but I mean it, the, the the tone of RT coverage is very much that you know that this was the you know this is not an election that's going to decide the fate and the lives of you know of 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 everybody in the country and especially the poorer sections. It, it's it's depicted as a kind of you know kind of school sports day. Yeah, and every, every, <laughs> yeah, it's a good, good way to put it. it. Is, is is deserving of congratulations and those who lose yeah. uh, regardless of how venal they might be are um are worthy of of, of sympathy of course the, the, there's many problems with irish media but the big one is the huge historic domination of the print media mm-hmm. by the independent uh, both national and local i mean it's one of the highest uh, concentrations anywhere in europe um, and the, the independent group, and of course the independent are gunning for um, Sinn Féin, um, very, very obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing about Sinn Féin is, again, they have, I don't want to overstate this because I think people always do, because people say, oh, but they have this new breed of young persons, and you say, well, name them. And, you know, you, you know, they, they, they find, uh, people quite often stop at, you know, Louise O'Reilly and Mary Lou McDonald, mm-hmm. the one O'Brien and Pierre. You know, um, I, I, I think we shouldn't overstate that, but certainly the good people they have are very good indeed. Um, and uh, they, they don't have the baggage of the past. They have the class credentials to speak to a middle class uh, audience. Um, so I'm, I'm, the possibility is that Sinn Féin will be in government at some point in the near future. And that, that of course, changes uh, changes everything. It gives them a, a legitimacy. It means they're part of the state infrastructure in a way that people possibly imagine they they never would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you think of first, their, their first TD of what you would now see, the, uh, see as, as this cycle of Sinn Féin trying to become part of Southern Irish mainstream political life is only back in 1997, you know, and it was one TD, uh, Cuevin O'Keelan, up, uh, up by the border there. And um, he, when you think that's, that's, a, that's a long journey over 20 years from one TD to now 36. Um, and, and, but the nature of the Southern Irish state is, of course, that, you know, as with most states, but the Southern Irish state is, 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 is one that I know a little bit about. And it is, of course, it does, like all states, loves itself, and it loves all of those who are willing to play the game of maintaining the status quo. And it depends if Sinn Féin are willing to do that. And it de- it depends on how much they infringe the kind of if they really, really do break the mold of Irish politics, or they merely become another promising left wing voice 
then ends up making disappointing compromises in in, 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 in government. And there'll probably be a bit, a little bit of both of those things, you know, at least. So um, I noticed Fintan O'Toole yeah. um, on the Irish Times podcast the other night, uh, basically kind of making some early rhetorical sort of steps that uh, would seem to facilitate an acceptance of Sinn Féin in, in, um, in government. Uh, I think he was sort of saying, using the ANC comparison, you know, well, you know, he's yeah. well, like sort of talking about his own record as a journalist and saying like, well, you know, I've always said that um, the problem with Sinn Féin is, is the violence, right? You no. Know, and if they could, just as the ANC forsook violence and came into the mainstream so too this moment seems to indicate blah 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 <laughs> you know so it you know it, it's almost like there's a there's a benediction of some sort um being being performed and i'm just like that's that's fintan too. <laughs> wow you know yeah. it, 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 it's it's interesting how um the 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 access can be a kind of a narcotic in this instance you know none of these people want to get to be frozen out either right um they're only gatekeepers to the point that they can um you know get, have access to to the political class yes exactly. i might be overstating that but I, I you know it just it just struck me you know well the thing about it is that you know the the, the field of play is just has just changed um, in the last couple of weeks, and Fintan O'Toole is a good bellweller of these things. You know, he's he's somebody who who has, I think, for not everybody I know would agree with me on this, but I, I think he's he's been consistent. Certainly, um, I think he would say that in his just his repugnance at the, at the violence that the provisional IRA has been involved with, uh, um, uh, and I think that he has that he has changed his tune um, is indicative of a number of things, but not least it's simply. The rules of the game have changed and the people pragmatically simply have to accept this because um, uh, it, it, not least because this, the scale of this vote is such that I think every mainstream political party realizes there's a real, real danger in being seen to refuse to um, accept the Sinn Féin mandate because you are you're essentially disenfranchising several hundred thousand uh, people. So I, I I think that this this really is a game changer in that sense. But I I think certainly on RTE you can see I can just see the mood music just changing a little bit. These 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 are people who are standing on the verge of power. They may not go into power, but they're standing on the verge of it. And uh, of course there is. Um, you know the nature of political cultures is it is, is to acculturate people. It's 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 to bring them into in all the apparatuses of the state. You know the civil service and the media and all those things essentially to basically house train people in the ways that things are done. Um, and that process will will begin the moment the Sinn Féin step into office and how Sinn Féin respond to it. It will be very interesting to watch. Um, yeah. Hard to hard. Because the Sinn Féin is, like most parties, is a lot of different things at the same time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Colin, is there anything I should be asking you that I'm not for this conversation? No, there's just one. There's one thing I, I, I just wouldn't mind mind saying that mm. it, it, it popped into my head earlier and it popped out, which is 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 I'm not sure where it, it would fit in, Nick. But which is this, which is just a very obvious thing that just kind of. Uh, greats on me you know 
that which is this that, I mean the hypocrisy of people saying they won't go into government with Sinn Féin and Sinn Féin is north of the border with the support of the Irish government since 2007 with obviously this 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 this, this, this gap it was in government in the late 90s and early 2000s but as the one of the two principal parties it was in government in Northern Ireland from 2007 to 2017 and has been so again um for the last uh for the last well three three weeks three and a half weeks um and for you know again it just shows you the kind of the slightly schizophrenic nature of Southern Irish politics mm. where people will say, I don't want to do deals uh, with Sinn Féin. I don't want to be in government with Sinn Féin. But hold on a wee second. Simon Coveney is going to go up the storm and to broker a deal where he's standing with Michelle O'Neill of Sinn Féin and Arlene Foster of the DUP. Um, and let's face it, if you have problems with Sinn Féin, you're bound to have a lot more problems than with, with, the, with the DUP, whose politics are just absolutely <laughs> We're not really repugnant and, yeah. and, 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 you know, um, so again, it, it just strikes me how, how anybody can, 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 can say that because I mean, for example, if Michal Martin of, of Fianna Fáil somehow cobbles together a coalition of parties and becomes Taoiseach without Sinn Féin being in government, he's going to have to deal with Sinn Féin and Belfast anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, so how people think we don't notice this, I know people in Southern Ireland don't don't follow, frankly, don't follow Northern Irish politics. No. But it does pop up on, on your TV screens and in your newspapers every now and again. And um, it just strikes me again, it's, it's, it's about the slightly schizophrenic nature of how Southern Irish politicians and maybe Southern Irish people sometimes think about Northern Ireland. And it works both ways. And that I think the ignorance um, uh, is, is, is often mutual. Northern Irish people have very little knowledge of Southern Irish politics and society yeah. and culture. Uh, I mean, equally, just on that note, I, I mean, it's, um, it's often said that Sinn Féin in the North, in power, has not been a particularly left-wing party. Absolutely, and, and, and I'm, I'm very, I'm very glad you brought that up because it is, uh, you know, it is something I've been talking to people about recently. That if you want to know what Sinn Féin looks like in government, you don't have to go 100 miles up the road from where I'm sitting. Now, of course, in Belfast they have compulsory um, associational government because of it being an ethnically divided society. They have to be in par with 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 the unionist parties. Um, uh, but when we look at Sinn Féin, I mean, the only thing that Sinn Féin and DUP agreed about during that 10 years when they had that kind of that, that strangely tempestuous relationship in government was corporation tax. They wanted to reduce corporation tax to the Southern Irish rate of 12.5%. Now, they've dropped it this time around, but that was basically, that was their flagship policy, both of the parties. Um, Sinn Féin have been ambivalent about the issue of um, the introduction of a woman's right to choose. Um, the fact that women are about to be able to choose in Northern Ireland is because of a decision made in Westminster by British politicians, not by Northern Irish politicians. Um, Sinn Féin, after the Fresh Start Agreement in November 2015, not only agreed that welfare reform would come into Northern Ireland, but they actually agreed that that decision would be made in the British Parliament. And of course, there are mitigation of there are various forms of mitigation of the worst forms of uh, welfare reform, but Northern Ireland. Is being hugely, hugely impacted. Northern Ireland has 22 food banks now. Wow. You know, over 100,000 people, um, uh, oh, sorry, more than 100,000 children live in, in poverty. A quarter of all Jesus. deaths of homeless people in the UK are Northern Ireland. I had no idea. But, that, I'd never heard that before. That's incredible. 
a to, quarter to, of all homeless people dying in the UK die in the north of that, Ireland. Yeah. Holy cow. I never heard that. So, now, of course, Sinn Féin would say this is why we're out of government, but the reality of it is that Sinn Féin collapsed the Northern Ireland Assembly uh, because of a scandal, and it was a scandal, over a green energy scheme, supposedly. Mm-hmm. For, for that, and they said that the um, uh, DUP's uh, first minister, Arlene Foster, would have to step aside while those matters were resolved. Right. During some those negotiations, they said that uh, it was a red line for them. There would have to be an Irish Language Act. They're now back in government with the DUP. Arlene Foster still first minister, and there is no Irish Language Act. <laughs> yeah. But, do you know? I mean, it's really. Uh, it, 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 there's been, you know, three years of 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 non-government in Northern Ireland. Uh, and the outcome of that is, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's inconceivable for me as somebody who, you know, uh, whose well-being was preserved on a couple of occasions by the national health system right. to see that Ireland now has the, 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 the lengthiest queues for operations of any part in the UK. Um, something that was the absolute cornerstone of the good parts of Northern Irish society is its health system. Um, is severely compromised. Uh, Northern Irish nurses earn less than nurses in the rest of the UK, all of those things. So I think anybody who thinks where we will, you know, anybody thinks that, you know, Sinn Féin and government in Southern Ireland are going to be, are going to be the authors of, 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 of some New pristine radical society will be, I think, perhaps disappointed if they, if, if, if they want to cast their eyes north of the border. So if that is any indication of where we're going from here, this, uh, what I think some people are calling a sort of a left populist moment in Irish history is, uh, is, is not over yet. It, 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 it may be that Sinn Féin doesn't satisfy the urge, if you know what I mean. Well, the thing about it is they're in a very difficult position because if, if they form a government, they would either form a government with Fianna Fáil, who will the slightly larger of the two parties will probably want, you know, their people in key ministries. What happens, for example, if Ono Brin isn't housing minister? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, that'd um, be disaster. It'd be disastrous and be great if he were, and I think it would do a fantastic job. What happens, for example, with, you know, if Sinn Féin somehow manages to cobble together a coalition of the, of, of the left, mm. and which... The numbers don't seem to add up, perhaps, but perhaps it, 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 it is possible in, in, in some way. I mean, you know yourself, without dusting down old cliches from Brendan Bean, you know how fractious the left is everywhere, and Ireland is not an exception to that rule. Do you know how difficult that relationship is going to be? Um, so we're definitely, we're in, we're, we're, we're not in, we're not exactly in new territory because, because there are very obvious kind of footprints on our way to here that go back over the last 12 years of, 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 of the crash. Um, but we're certainly, I mean, the rules of the game are definitely are, are, are definitely um, uh, shifting now. And where it takes us, um, very, very hard to tell. Very, very hard to tell indeed. Brilliant. Well, on that note, um, Colin, if, um, if this updates again in the next few weeks, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure this uh, process of forming a government might not be an overnight phenomena. We might get you back on, yeah? Perfect. I'd be delighted to. I would be delighted to. That would be great. Okay, I'm going to say goodbye here and cut the recording.